The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter. We're a week away from the NFL draft. Finally, I'm Chris Corman, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We cover the NFL for For the Win. Fellas, what's going on? A week away. That's what's going on. <laughs> a week of smoke season. Of the yeah. Worst- the worst part is like this week is going to be awful, but the the nights of the draft are going to be even worse. <laughs> just like concentrated into two nights of just awfulness. Yep. And Wait, I what's mean, awful about when it actually happens? <laughs> At least like that's real stuff happening. That we have to work <laughs> on, a, <laughs> on a Thursday and Friday night. It's a fair point. <laughs> that, is the, that's, that is exactly the, the part that's bad. Yeah. I, I, the, the next week is going to be awful, though. I mean... Just from following the Falcons, I've seen every single rumor that you can possibly see. We've seen all the, the Mac Jones rumors, like with the 49ers. I just, I just need some results. Like enough. he's the betting favorite again, apparently. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna get into this a little bit later. So our, our episode today is, is largely a conversation with Derek Klassen, uh, who super studies QB play and has done some great work charting these quarterbacks. So we're gonna dig in on all of that. But and, and we we get our shots in on Mac Jones for sure uh, in in that segment. But the, the Mac Jones, I, like, is is it scouts just saying that he's smart because they they really want like they think they can trick Kyle Shanahan into taking him? Like, what is actually happening? I'm so confused about what what is going on here. No one knows, but we'll see on draft night. I mean. I, I still can't wrap my mind around the idea of trading three first round picks for Mac Jones, but I mean, if that happens, we're we're getting the jokes off for sure. I, I mean, are we sure that this isn't teams that are like in that eight to twelve range trying to hype up Mac Jones in the that, media I, to get someone to trade up for him? Because like you know what that, makes, feels- a, that makes a whole lot more sense than anything else, right? Yes, because none of this to stuff us- sho- none of it shows up on film. Like the giveaway for me is the protections and pre-snap check stuff. Cause those are just like the things you throw out when you're talking about a smart quarterback, right? That's like just the default things you say. None of that is on his, on his film. Like I I'm halfway through the season season. I haven't seen one instance of it. Not one, not even one. So I, I, that's what I think it is. I think it's just hype to try to draw interest in a trade up. I don't know if it's going to work, but like you might as well do it. It reminds me a lot of the Patriots talk last offseason when every all the reporters were buying the Jared Stidham is their guy talk and everyone who watched Jared Stidham was like no actually Jared Stidham is awful and there is zero percent chance that he's the starting quarterback there's this there's this thing about Stidham and Jones uh that is similar and also something about the people that they were competing with at the time that is similar uh yes uh I just I'm not I'm not quite sure uh how to, how, to, how to grasp what might be going on here. I just, I don't know. But uh, so, so I, I, the nitty gritty, Stephen, I really want to get it. Like, so you're watching Mac Jones and, and you, you're obviously seeing on Twitter and elsewhere that all this talk of him, like he's, he's smarter and he manipulates the offense and he's, uh, he's, he's, uh, and you're just not seeing it. Like it's not, it's literally not happening. Like what these anonymous scouts are saying he does, you can watch on film and you're like, wait, that's, that's not happening. Yeah, like you could see whether a quarterback is making checks at the line of scrimmage. Like anybody, you don't have, even have to know football to realize 
when a quarterback is doing that, right? Like he's talking to the offensive line, he's moving around, he's making signals right. with his hand. Like none of that happens. He 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 does a little clap cadence and he gets the ball and he throws it to wide open Devontae Smith. <laughs> and, like I just don't see like I'm, if someone has an example like I'm I have an open mind maybe I just haven't been paying attention right right but if you see it send me a clip I just want to see it I see it with Trevor Lawrence like especially towards the end of the season he took full control of that offense at the line mm-hmm. of scrimmage I think and I don't know it's just astounding to me that people are just saying these things that are easily verifiable and no one is taking the time to just just watch one game and see right. if it happens and i honestly do think you have an open mind you know like you you changed your opinion on zach wilson we're gonna talk about a story that you wrote about zach wilson uh that you watched this film from this past year and you like you were impressed you were like okay i i see where some of the hype is coming from then you watched 2019 you found some things that gave you reservations uh like i think you actually like very much go into this thinking like I really want to understand whether a player is good and doing the things he needs to do to succeed at the next level. Like I, I mean, you're going to see a lot of, uh, you're going to hear a lot of slander of Mac Jones in this and think that it's all preconceived notion. But I really think that you go in looking to see like, wait, does this guy have something special? Uh, and if you're not, Honestly, not seeing I- it, Honestly, I've like gone through stages with Mac Jones. Like I watch, like I don't really watch college football like that. Like I'll have it on. Mm-hmm. And like you watch, you like hear about Mac Jones being good, and you're like, oh yeah, he's just he's Mac Jones. Like look at him, he's just playing in the system. And I like totally wrote him off. And then I watch the receivers, the Alabama guys, and I'm like, oh, Mac Jones is like getting the ball to where it needs to be most of the time. Like he's a decent prospect. I could see him being a first round pick. And then I watch Mac Jones, and then now I'm back to like, this guy's a backup. He stinks. So yeah, it's it's I've gone through you know phases with him. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to get into Trey Lance a little bit. Uh, Charles has a story on him uh, that is really interesting. Obviously, Trey Lance only played one game last season, kind of throw it out for being such a short sample size. Uh, and then the year before, he was 19 playing in FCS. He's a really hard evaluation. Uh, but Charles has a fascinating piece about him sort of spanning uh, eras of football. He's a guy who can operate from under center, but then he's also uh, – he's – a, a quarterback that can really succeed on designed runs. He's, he's more of like a, you know, he's not, he's not as big as Cam Newton. Cam Newton's huge, but he's a guy that can run those sort of plays and take on tacklers. It's not, it's not like Lamar yeah. uh, where he's operating in space. So uh, that's a fascinating piece that, that we'll get into. It's a different uh, breed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how I many, how that. many quarterbacks have there been like Trey Lance where you could, you could build your run game around him. It's not like like the example I always bring up is Russell Wilson, who's a guy that you could do like zone read with, but you're not going right. to build your run game around him. Yeah. I mean, it's like Lamar. Lamar. Cam. Jo- uh, Cam. I Cam. think like if you wanted to with Josh Allen, you might be able to get away with it. But yeah, yeah. Uh, they haven't done that so far. But like the maybe, list is small. Maybe Kaepernick. Like, yeah, Kaepernick. That one year. The Eagles are going to try to do it with Jalen Hurts probably. Yeah. Oh, Jalen Hurts, I think, is in there. Jalen yeah. Hurts, oh, he could his college film right. like as a runner was really good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's it's not a it's not a huge list for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we have a, a huge uh, a long discussion with Derek, who has uh, just a ton of great insights from the tremendous amount of charting he does on on these quarterbacks. A concerning amount of charting. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a little bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> 
We, we rely on these people, though, Stephen. Like they, we need we need people to sit through this so that we can take their data and talk about it. I mean, that doesn't mean we can't pity them. <laughs> I guess. I guess you're right. It's true. But first, we want to get to uh, Charles has a conspiracy theory. I so do have a I, of it. I whenever whenever Charles has a conspiracy theory, so you know we need to we need to give him some time to air it out. All right, we're gonna we're gonna let this. Let it uh, let it out yeah. into the world. Um, so the NFL has agreed to loosen its restrictions on which players, which positions can wear certain numbers. Uh, so uh, running backs, tight ends, fullbacks, H-backs, wide receivers can wear 1 through 49 and 80 to 89. Defensive backs can choose from 1 to 49. Linebackers, 1 to 59 and 90 to 99. Offensive linemen, 50 to 79. Defensive linemen, 50 to 79 and 90 to 99. Uh, QBs and kickers still one through 19 that the defensive line and the linebacker one is one. This is where your conspiracy theory hinges. So hit me with it. Yeah. So I don't really even know how I just got started thinking about this. <laughs> I, I guess it, it all derives from the fact that I very much believe that defensive linemen should be able to get the single digit numbers too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it just looks cool. Like, I mean, how many times have we seen like a nose tackle in college where like number one or zero like it's i don't know it's just cool it's a cool aesthetic uh but they didn't allow that so then i'm thinking like why wouldn't they allow defensive linemen to wear the single digit numbers too like you know this seems like such a positive things that the majority of fans like uh why not just go all the way with it and i realized you know the owners they aren't going to do anything without potentially getting something in return down the line and i guess where this jersey thing comes in is you know, you know that there are going to be edge rushers that try to like classify as a linebacker just for the sake of <laughs> getting a single digit jersey number or, you know, a, a sleeker number than the ones that they have. <laughs> but the NFL, you know, this is this is reckless specul- speculation, tinfoil hat conspiracy stuff. But, you know, the NFL, like, I guess they could, you know, if they want to be really, you know, rude about this. When it gets time for some of these guys to get paid or for some of these guys to get the franchise tag, which I think is the, the clear example, you know, what's stopping a team from slapping an edge rusher with like 15 sacks as a linebacker just because he wore, decided to wear number five? And, you know, we, we've seen Jimmy Graham come into a situation like that when he was trying to get classified as like a tight end or a wide receiver. Uh, I think yeah. Clowney had the same thing a couple years ago with the Texans. So, I mean, like – Labor disputes around franchise tags are not new to the sport, but I do think that this is a way for some of the owners and general managers to be a little stingy with the franchise tag around players who decide to wear single digits. Do you know what this really is? It's Chuck admitting to us that if he ran an NFL team, he would do this. Look, if I'm going to be just straight up pure evil capitalist where I've got a billion dollars, yeah, there's probably going to be something that's on my mind all the time. But I, I don't I really don't know what made me think of that. But, hey, I think it's, it's, it's I, possible. It's yeah. possible. I 100% would, possible. Someone should explore. Like, Harry Roseman is definitely going to explore <laughs> this, that option. Dude, Dan Snyder? You don't think he's going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Did you see Tom Brady's reaction to the, the oh, number yeah, thing? I did. And honestly, I hadn't thought about Tom. So Tom Brady's against the rule, uh, the, number, the jersey change, because it's going to make it harder. Protections? Uh, is that what he's saying? Yeah, like protections, because... 
Yeah. I don't know. Like, if you see someone wearing number 26, you might think that's a DB and it's a linebacker. It just gets a little confusing. Oh, oh poor Tom Brady yeah, has but like, to study yeah, but also the like, roster. Poor oh, Tom man. Brady, yeah. <laughs> study the roster, dude. Just look at it real quick or have your, your coach, like, yell at you before the play starts. I thought Galaxy Brain Tom Brady didn't need any of that extra help. Like, he was an all-knowing football genius. And, like, he, should, he shouldn't need numbers to know whether a guy's a linebacker or not. I mean, half the dudes he's playing against weren't alive when he started, so uh, he shouldn't. You know, he's had plenty of time to to study. Yeah. this guys. is probably just Tom Brady. You know, creating a fake hurdle in his head so he can overcome it and talk about it at some point after the season when he wins his eighth Super Bowl. Shut up, Tom Brady. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Enough. Correct. Enough, Tom. I'm just excited that Steven's favorite player, Isaiah Simmons, who's like he plays pretty much every position on defense. He can wear any number he wants now. So it's yeah, it's that's open true. for him. So uh, he's he's the hack, I guess. Is there is there a, a limitation on players? Like if you're on the bench, like <laughs> spent most of his rookie season. Oh man, wow. my my the thing about Isaiah Simmons, the two most memorable plays of his football career was like those two interceptions. He had the interception yeah, against yeah. A Justin Fields, where he just got rotated into the right place at the right time. And then his interception of Russell Wilson in overtime where he oh, kind of just dropped. Those are both of his interceptions. He just happens to be in the right place at the right time. That's why I say he's a cerebral, cerebral player. Uh, a Mac Jones of the defense, if you will. <laughs> oh, that's a good segue right there. Let's bring in Derek Klassen now to try to figure out this quarterback class. One of the more intriguing, I would say. I, I think part of it is that Trevor Lawrence has for so long been the number one guy that like drama is being manufactured with the next couple but there's some uh, very interesting uh, evaluations here and, and Derek does a great job walking us through All right, it's our pleasure now to bring in Derek Klassen, a uh, good friend of the counter. Derek, uh, he, he, he's all over the place. He's right for writes for Football Outsiders, uh, covered does some Vikings coverage, uh, works for NBC uh, Edge College Football. He's uh, he's on Twitter uh, at QB Class. Um, he's uh, does one of our favorite projects each year, which is. Uh, you can find it if you if you hit him up on Twitter. It's his pinned tweet, uh, and it's the quantifying quarterbacks uh, project that he does. There's there's a lot of people looking at it right now. I just noticed that uh, how many people are in this document. Uh, but it's a fantastic resource for anyone who wants to try to study quarterback play and and figure out how it's going to play out in the draft. Uh, Derek, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good, man. Uh, glad to be on the counter. I think it's my first time, so uh, I'm glad to get going and talk about the quarterbacks. Are we are we allowed to make fun of the NBC Sports Edge name or without? Uh, I, I was trouble? literally just about to go back to Roto World, dude. That <laughs> you, I, I you don't guys know should do whatever is. you want. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like I said when we had Richard on the pod, it sounds like a gas station sex pill. <laughs> NBC Sports Edge. I mean, it just makes no sense. Like, it, it's just like the most. And to be clear, these are not Derek's thoughts. These are my <laughs> thoughts. Totally Charles McDonald thoughts. Uh, it's just like corporatized and boring. Like you had something in Roto World. 
just add more to it instead of changing the whole thing to NBC Sports. Ad. The extended extended many, Roto universe. How many people are we going to try to get fired on this show today? Like we, <laughs> when when Bryce was on, we were so nice and we like we we didn't we were very uh very, very like gentle and and didn't want to get him in trouble with with SIS. But now you guys are just letting it fly here. Well, that, that was that was that was partly because of how Bryce was approaching the. <laughs> Bryce has the power to get other people fired. So that's true. Uh, all right. Well, Derek will be unemployed once uh, his, <laughs> his bosses hear this. So hire him. He's great. He's fantastic. Uh, no, I, we want to talk about this uh, this monumental project that you undertake, uh, is sort of trying to gather all the information possible. And I do mean all uh, about these quarterbacks uh, for the, the quantifying quarterbacks uh, charts that you do. Tell us how you start, uh, got into this. Uh, what what the evolution of it, how long you've been doing it, how much film study actually goes into it, what you're all doing to, to get this put together. Yeah, so I started back in, I think, 2016 was the first class that I, I charted anyone for. I don't remember why exactly I wanted to do it or why I continued to do it. <laughs> but uh, there was a guy on Twitter like a long time ago. Um and I know Chuck knows him very well, Eric Stoner. He had actually done some like quarterback charting stuff and he just gave me his template um, and was like, you know, I know you like to do quarterback stuff, blah, blah, blah. If you want to use this, if you ever find it valuable, just take it. So I was like, uh, all right. And so I just took it and I just started doing quarterback charting based off of his template. I've tweaked it a little bit over the years and stuff, but like it's mostly his thing. Um, and so, yeah, that's just kind of how I got started with the template of it. Um, the way I, I want to let people know that you were like, what, a freshman in college when you started doing this? You're like, uh, Derek's incredibly uh, yes. young. Yeah, yeah, not before. before uh, I thought it was before that, but I might just be have my timeline. 2016 would have been, yeah, my freshman year. I, I mean, I had, done, I had done draft work before then, but that he's was a, like he's a draft year, savant right? is what I'm saying. Yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah. And, and just going back to the stoner point, like for those who don't know, like stoner, He's not on Twitter anymore, but he was just like, like NFL coach levels of smart with the the stuff. So, you know, like it's really cool to see that get passed down to Derek and then Derek do his own cool thing with it. And uh, I mean, this year was just excellent as well. And, you know, I, I think the first question I had that we talked about before we got onto this is if you just go through the charting and really just like the total accuracy, we can start there. Mm-hmm. Justin Fields. I mean, just based off the numbers, he seems like if, if I didn't watch anything, if I didn't really know anything about these guys besides, uh, you know, just this chart, Justin Fields looks like the best quarterback in the class. But we all know he's not going to go number one to Jacksonville or number two to the Jets. Uh, I think we can talk about different reasons about why he might not be going number two to the Jets. But uh, how much like how far away is Trevor Lawrence from Justin Fields? You know, if your accuracy numbers say that. Justin Fields is more accurate. I mean, I don't think he's very far. Like, I, so I started doing draft work overall in 2013, and Trevor is, I think, to me, easily the best that I've seen since then. I think Fields is maybe the second best, which might feel like prisoner of the moment ish, but I don't know, man. I've, I've said it a number of times on a bunch of other podcasts. The way I wrote about Justin Fields, I've said it on Twitter. Like, Fields should go number one in basically every draft going back to like Andrew Luck. Um, Andrew Luck is like where it stops, but every other draft before then or after then, I mean, 
Like Fields should go one of one. Like the accurate, like the charting shows, like Justin Fields, his accuracy is just phenomenal. And I think part of that is he has such a good gauge of when it's appropriate to be aggressive and when it's not appropriate to be aggressive. Um, and I think he doesn't really put the ball in, in too many dangerous situations. That was slightly less true in 2020, but it, like overall, he's still a very, very sharp quarterback um, who doesn't put the ball in harm's way and just has just uncanny ability to throw around defenders and understand exactly where the ball needs to go, whether that's, you know, throwing high to the back of the end zone because that's the only place the ball can go or throwing low over the middle of the field. So your, you know, wide receiver doesn't get just completely decleated by some safety trying to scream down. So I think fields to me is somehow the second best quarterback in this class because Trevor just happens to be in here. But like, I think he's one of the best I've ever seen. And I think he's certainly closer to Lawrence than any of whoever is behind Fields is closer to Fields. Are you, when you're putting this together, are you charting throughout the season or is it a thing that happens in the offseason? Um, it's mostly during the offseason, um, but there it kind of gets broken up. So like the summer before the year, I will try to do like a four game sample of what, you know, is supposed to be a guy's second to last season because that's kind of mm-hmm. how I do the data. I'll chart a guy's entire last season and then four games of his previous season to serve as sort of like an anchor for any crazy regression one way or the other, um, which I think is valuable for guys like Joe Burrow, you know, who, you know, his 2019 season wasn't particularly special. Um, so I think for guys like that, it's kind of valuable, but usually, yeah, I'll try to do the four game sample over the summer um, before the season gets started, kind of get a baseline for these guys during the season. I'll get a couple of games for each guy because I do um, like a weekly series where I'll just chart one game and then kind of run through that um, on mm-hmm. NBC. So I get a little bit of games done during the season, but most of it, you know, I'd say 80% of it is done in the off season after the fact. So that leads to my second question, because I'm assuming you had preconceived notions of who these guys were because you're watching college football during the season. Who, when you were done with it, was there a guy where you changed your take on him the most, whether it was positive or negative? Um, I think probably I, I knew going into the year that fields was pretty good and like a first round caliber quarterback. But I think by the end of it, I, I didn't expect myself to be like, he's the second best guy I've ever seen. Um, so I guess I ended up a little bit higher on fields than I had maybe initially anticipated. Um, I guess you could say I ended up higher on Zach Wilson in the sense that like I didn't even chart him over the summer because I didn't expect him to be this kind of NFL prospect. Um, So even though he's my quarterback four, I guess I technically ended up higher. But um, other than that, I think that's that's probably about where I ended up. Yeah, I think I would say the same about Wilson. Like once I really watched him. I had seen like a few games, like the Houston game I watched. I forget the other games. But once I watched his whole season, I think that made me appreciate him a little more. Like it, it raised some questions about him. But I think one thing with with Wilson, and I don't think he performed that well in, in your charting outside of the pocket, which is kind of a surprise since that's his thing. Do you think he's – you? I mean, you've obviously heard the Mahomes and Rodgers that those – weird comparisons which i i I don't think are fair (laughs) but what kind of player outside of the pocket do you think he's going to be in the nfl 
So to me, I think his, it, this is why the data um, can be interesting. Is like I, I still think Wilson is very good outside of the pocket. Um, you know, he's really creative. Um, he's pretty. He's pretty athletic. His arm is good, um, and he's generally very accurate on the move. I think why his data outside the pocket is kind of just average um, is one. We, we know him outside of the pocket for mostly his flash plays. Like that's right. what has attached us to him um, as an outside the pocket player. Whereas like Justin Fields doesn't really get that, you know, oh, he's so good outside of the pocket thing. But Fields is significantly better outside the pocket in my accuracy charting because I think he, he just does such a, a better job of taking the easier throws that are there and just consistently completing them. Whereas, you know, Wilson is kind of more consistently going for as much as he can can bite off. Um, and I think that leads to the same uh, to a similar point in that a lot of Wilson's play outside the pocket is kind of like he is intentionally putting himself in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it can be a little bit trickier for him to navigate because playing outside the pocket just in general is going to be tougher than inside the pocket. Um, so I think because he consistently puts himself in that situation more than other quarterbacks, it can be a little bit trickier on him. Whereas like when Fields is getting outside the pocket, they do a lot of design stuff. The same is true of like Trey Lance. Like so much of it is designed that it's a little bit easier to score, you know, better, um, especially when you're not a guy who's also, you know, conditioned to kind of just press windows as as consistently as possible. I want to ask the uh, a potentially loaded question, which is that uh, based on what you saw, can you figure out what an NFL talent evaluator might see in Wilson that would have uh, what uh, have him above fields. I mean, it, it seems like that's happening as Charles alluded to earlier. It's because the jets are in that spot and maybe, maybe we shouldn't pretend that that is <laughs> reflective of smart football thinking, but I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a, an outlier opinion. I mean, there are plenty of people who vaulted Wilson above fields. Did you see anything that would, uh, support that conclusion? I mean, the, the only way it makes any sense to me is that teams are always going to want to chase the thing that is the best. And the thing that is the best is Mahomes. And stylistically, Wilson is obviously mm-hmm. the closest to that. I don't think he's anywhere near that level of talent. But if a team can convince themselves that, oh, we need this particular archetype of quarterback to succeed... I guess you could say that Wilson is better just because he still does have a good arm that I think is worse than Fields. Um, and he's still a good athlete, even though I think he's a worse athlete than Fields. So, um, <laughs> like, to me, it's really all about play style, which to me is just, I don't know. It, it doesn't really make any sense to me because Fields is just significantly better at basically everything about playing quarterback other than he's maybe not quite as creative, which is not to say he's not creative either. He still does some good stuff outside the pocket. Um, he's just not the crazy superhuman, you know, Tony Romo, Patrick Mahomes, whatever you want to say. You know, I, I, one thing that's kind of interesting about Zach Wilson and, and the, the discourse around this season is like, I feel like not many people are bringing up the level of competition that he had to play against because Steven brought uh, it up. Good old yeah. Steven. Okay. Well, okay. Steven brought it up. <laughs> I, I just mean like in terms of like, yeah. you know, the people who are you know, really pumped him hard. Like, because didn't BYU, like they had to redo their entire schedule yes. due to COVID right. at the start of the season. They end up with a bunch of cupcakes. It, it's just kind of interesting to me that. Also, every the, lineman on BYU is like 30 years old. So yeah, like, <laughs> it's, it's a, like, it's a good, it's a good program. Uh, it's a good team, but like how much did the level of competition 
I guess, you know, inflate what we think of Zach Wilson, the quarterback prospects. Oh, I think it inflated a lot. And I think part of it, too, is um, they changed the offense a little bit to be more of like the pistol wide zone play action stuff, which I think Mm -hmm. helped him a little bit and would have probably helped him even if their schedule um, was, you know, similar to what it was in 2019 and was a little tougher. But I mean, like you said, like the, the schedule that they got to play was so significantly easier. Like I think in 2019, the four games I charted were like Washington, Utah, USC, and like Tennessee. I mean, that is significantly tougher than pretty much all of what he faced in 2020. Um, and when you add that on top of the fact that I think the offensive line was just simply playing better and was on a relative level, I think the best of any of these top five quarterbacks. Um, and then his receivers, you know, his pass catchers were still pretty good on a relative level to, to the competition that they were playing. So I think Wilson did play well. Um, he showed a lot of things that, you know, would interest you in, t- in taking him on as your NFL quarterback. But it's it, he definitely had things a lot easier than he did in 2019. And I think a lot of his 2019 games are like a better, clearer look at the actual up and downs of his game. Whereas I think in 2020, you just didn't see a lot of the downs because uh, like that nobody was no defense was really putting him into those situations consistently. Yeah. yeah, and I think I think another thing that no one is touching on, which I got into in my article, is that BYU was an independent, so they didn't have to adhere to these strict guidelines that other conference conference affiliated teams had to. They were only testing three times a, a week, whereas other teams were testing every day, and I think that really helped them. Like they were never playing shorthanded like a lot of these other teams. Like Trevor missed a game because he tested positive for for COVID. We don't know, like BYU could have had positive tests that we don't even know about. They were able to, you know, keep that kind of in the program. They didn't have to answer to anybody. And I think that was a big deal. They were just looked more prepared than all the teams they played. And the one time when they had to change their schedule, because North, I think it was North Alabama that had to cancel, they lost to Coastal Carolina. And that was probably Wilson's worst game, at least stats wise. Yeah, Steven, I haven't even considered it from that angle, but I think that's really interesting, too. Yeah. Yeah. Steven addressed this in his uh, story, why Zach Wilson's 2019 tape should raise concerns about his NFL future. Uh, you guys can find that at ForTheWinFTW.USAToday.com. Uh, there's a lot of film breakdown here. And we did this with, with Joe Burrow last year because Burrow similarly burst onto the scene and obviously was playing with uh, a national championship team in an offense run by Joe Brady uh, that – it vaulted him to the NFL as well. Uh, it's not quite the same uh, dynamic where, where it is so clear that Burrow was elevated, but uh, Steven does such a great job of, of, I mean, pointing out not only that, that that BYU season was less uh, interrupted. At, it, it included easier teams to play against. Uh, you know, he breaks that down and then really shows how the year before, like, Wilson was just, I mean, this is a guy like a lot has been made of this and I don't know how much it really matters, but he wasn't even voted a, a team captain by his own teammates. Like he, watching even these snippets of the 2019 film is he's just a guy like he's there, there's some of uh, what what you, you know, what Derek was talking about earlier with like, oh, he's daring and he tries to make plays like some of that is on that film. Uh, and Stephen, as you pointed out, like I people are sort of dismissing 2019 because Wilson had been coming off shoulder surgery. But you really feel like that's not an issue that there that's not really a mitigating factor. Like his arm strength was fine. He just 
wasn't yeah. really using it. I do think there was a difference. Like there was a clear difference in arm strength. I don't think it was that big where it should affect his game that much. Mm-hmm. And that's my that's my question is like if that shoulder injury and it wasn't even an injury. It was he was recovering from the injury right. at the beginning of the season. If that derails his game that much, what does it say about the rest of his game as a quarterback? And I don't know how Derek feels about him as like a processor in the pocket, but I think there were some good reps last year, but there were a lot, there weren't a lot of like translatable plays to an NFL pocket. But when there were, I think that's when I had questions about how special his arm and accuracy was. I don't know if you saw the same thing, Derek. No, I I think that's absolutely on point. Like, I don't think Wilson is particularly – I don't think he's like an outright idiot, but I think he just has too many plays where he's willing to – it seems like he's willing to just bail on the structure of the play like after one, maybe two reads and just completely Mm -hmm. do whatever he wants. Um, And I think when you watched him in 2019 like that, you can't really do that against, you know, the Washington secondary or the Utah secondary. Like they're not going to allow you to do that. And I think I think when you saw him try to do some of that stuff um, and do some of the daring stuff against defenses that were good and had players where they were supposed to be you would see him throwing footballs right into defenders' hands. And like I think, Houston. Houston. Yeah, dude, yeah, okay. The Houston one is obviously his worst game in 2020. It was yeah. probably the most that he actually got, like, you know, pressed by a defense. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think that the Houston game is a perfect example of him just not particularly playing in structure all that well. It just didn't matter because he was so accurate. Um, his arm was pretty good. He's a good athlete. He can move. And he wasn't even under pressure very often. So if he wanted to just hang around in this pocket for five seconds and not really read the play out correctly, it didn't matter because he wasn't going to get hit. And the, the thing is, I think some of that applies to Mac Jones, if we want to transition to Mac Jones discussion. <laughs> I, I, really I never think, want to talk about Mac Jones. <laughs> yeah. It's all I want to talk about now. I after, know, I know. It's a good thing to <laughs> talk about. all I'm tweeting about. But, uh, like, Mac Jones, I think, did a lot better in this charting than I expected. Mm. And I'm one, I, I, I listened to you on the PFF podcast with Seth and Deontay, and you kind of meant, you mentioned how it's important to realize that this is just charting. And it, it doesn't mean, like, these, this is how the players stack up as quarterback prospects. And I'm wondering, is Mac Jones the biggest outlier, like compared to what his film looks like, compared to his charting, or is there another guy on this list that I'm not thinking of? Um, I think this year Mac Jones is definitely the guy. It seems like every year there's one guy in my charting who, like, whether it's just because of level of competition or um, the offense that they were in, or they just have particular tools that are good in college that aren't necessarily good in the NFL, can like cheat the charting and you kind of have to you know recalibrate that in your brain when you're looking in the data and i think jones is kind of that guy this year um and i think i think with jones in particular um you can kind of run into the issue of like and this is really more my fault than like you know anything else is that you can kind of run into an issue of like the quality um of the charting compared to another player so like trevor lawrence for example like when he's getting pressured, somebody is coming free and he's taking a shot to the chest. And I think you you basically tweeted something to like uh, to this effect. But like when Mac Jones is getting pressured, it's because he hang in, he hung in there for too long and then is maybe getting like brushed aside after he's thrown the ball, which like can still be a pressure because if he didn't let the ball out at that moment, he would have gotten sacked. Um, but like the the quality of pressures, um, I think with Jones. 
um, and Wilson compared to some of the other quarterbacks is just different. And I think that's why his like accuracy under pressure was um, so high for me is that I, you know, you can kind of run into the issue of what exactly should count as a, as a pressure drop back. Um, And that's, like I said, probably more my fault than anyone. So, but yeah, I think to your point, Jones is probably the outlier in terms of how good his charting profile was for the most part compared to how much I actually like him as a prospect. Yeah. I think how I ended up putting it was that like Lawrence and fields, they dealt with pressure before the throw. Well, Whereas Mac Jones didn't. Mac Jones dealt with that pressure that after the throw, like when he's taking the hit after he releases the ball. And I think that's what, like you said, he he did well here. And I think PFF had him as like one of the highest graded quarterbacks against pressure. And I just think that's just fake. <laughs> now, assuming that Mac Jones goes high in the first round, I mean, we're, we're at a point now, basically, like if you get drafted high, like outside of Mahomes, pretty much like you're you're going to end up starting. At some point, outside of the best time. example, <laughs> right? Outside of Mahomes, you know, you're probably going to end up starting some point as a rookie. Like, what's a fair, like, level of expectation for Mac Jones uh, for his rookie year? I mean, <laughs> I think so. The, the the problem is that I think, especially now in the NFL, with you know, with with the CBA, you're not getting as many reps as a young quarterback and I think Mac Jones specifically is a quarterback who needs reps and he who needs to master the mental side of the game because he doesn't have anything else in his tool set like he's not going to really make plays for you outside the pocket can't do quarterback run stuff he's not going to scramble and he doesn't have this natural arm strength that can kind of elevate you know over a play being broken or something so he kind of has to play specifically in structure and I don't know that he's going to get enough reps to feel comfortable about that um and i think especially when you marry that with his arm strength that is not particularly good that's probably going to lead to him throwing a lot of interceptions because he's a tick later than he wanted to be um and stuff like that so i think to me unless he ends up in you know like a kyle shanahan offense where let's pray to god that he doesn't because (laughs) shanahan needs something better than that uh but unless he ends up in like a perfect offense like that that makes it a little bit easier for him to trigger I have a hard time seeing how he actually gives you enough year one, um, which then leads to the question of like, if he's not going to give you something year one and he doesn't really have the tools for him to be a guy who's worth developing, like how can you at all rationalize taking, taking him in the first round? Yes. Uh, yeah. And like he's seen as this like smart Drew Brees, Tom Brady type, but I don't know what that's quite based on. Like, cause Alabama doesn't really run quick game it's all rpo so are we sure he would even fit in an offense that would just ask him like kind of like the offense that andy dalton was running under jay gruden can do we are we even sure he can operate in that type of offense do we know he's quick enough to make those decisions and get rid of the ball quickly that that's my biggest question i don't think alabama's offense was pro style i don't know if you have a different opinion on that no it's not um and i don't think his quick game is why do these anonymous scouts keep saying that then? <laughs> like, what, what? I don't know. It's because like I guess the, the Sark circle. offense used to be. It's not anymore. <laughs> yeah, because but. Sark got to Alabama and I was like, wait, all my guys are five stars. All your guys are three stars. Let's make <laughs> yeah, this well, as simple just, as possible. Right. <laughs> and exactly. because he's white. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's that like, too, yeah. <laughs> he's apparently um, Peyton Manning. But, but yeah, I mean, I don't think his quick game is, like, special. I think it's fine, but I think probably all the other quarterbacks in this class, save for maybe Wilson, 
are better quick game processors. I actually think Mac Jones did do a decent job with their, um, you know, like intermediate dropback type stuff. They yeah. didn't do a whole lot of it because, you know, like Chuck was saying, like they have five stars. They don't have to do that. They don't have to run a real offense. But I think when they did, he actually did do a good job of, you know, being able to get one to two to maybe three, throw a backside or get to the check down on time. So I think within the structure of a, of a decent dropback game, he can do okay. It's just, you know, like we've mentioned, if something goes wrong earlier in the down, um, he's not really going to be able to fix it for you. Like he has to have a clean enough pocket for him to get through those, you know, handful of reads. Yeah. And that's why I don't get the Tom Brady comparison. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not even comparisons. It's like, that's the hope is he becomes Tom Brady, which is just ridiculous. But when I see him in a tight pocket, like he doesn't look comfortable where he's not going to go beyond that primary read. He's just going to like turtle in the pocket and get sacked. And like, I saw like one, I posted a clip on Twitter, I think where you got sacked by one, like with one hand <laughs> and it wasn't even like a big defensive end. So like, we're talking like Eli Manning ish type pocket presence. Yeah. And he's honestly, when he is like rolling out, um, he's honestly not like the worst athlete. Like yeah. he's not going to torch you for 20 yards at a time, but he's kind of in like the Kirk cousins ish area where like, if he has room, he can at least get past the line of scrimmage and, and salvage a broken play or whatever. But within the pocket, he is a horrendous athlete. Yes. Um, he's not explosive. And I think part of the problem, too, is like his feet are kind of all over the place, which makes it a little bit of a wonder as to how he can actually be as accurate as he is most of the time. Um, but he kind of plays with these just like baby giraffe feet. And I think that's part of why his pocket management is such a disaster when you you know add that on top of him just not being explosive. Honestly, his pocket management reminds me a little bit of Baker's, which is not a compliment. I know Baker's made it work in the pros, but he's his, like you said, his feet. I don't think his feet are that good. Like he reacts to a lot of pressure. There are a lot of awkward throws, off platform throws, and I, and I am amazed that he is as accurate as he is considering that. Is is Mac Jones one of the most divisive pro, QB prospects in recent? Like, I, I mean. I trust what you guys are saying. I know you put in the work to watch this, but like if you read about Mac Jones or watch certain people on ESPN break down film of Mac Jones, like you would think the exact opposite. Like you think that he's like this savant who reads the field better than anyone and has perfect feet in the pocket. Like how is there such a difference in how people are seeing this prospect? I think to me, it's just there's so few instances where he can look bad mm-hmm. that it's easy to it's just chalk bad. that up to him being good. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that was, you know, we could say that about a number of different offenses recently. You know, you could say that about 2019 LSU. Um, you could say it about 2019 Alabama. But I think like it seemed like in 2020, they really perfected the Alabama offense. And Mac Jones was doing just enough to let that, you know, write itself out um, correctly. So I think, yeah, people are just chalking up the offense, not giving him opportunities to mess up as him being someone who doesn't mess up. And I think it's an offense where that give gives him so many layups where, and he produces and he put up these numbers. What was it like 41 touchdowns, four interceptions. So you have to find a way to explain that. Like how did Mac Jones do that? And I think you just fall back on, the old tropes and you're like, Oh, he's a processor and he can, he's right. accurate. Right. Right. So and, and, and I think at the, like another point that we were talking about before we got on here is like, there isn't really much else to say about him. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. with, with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, like you can talk about like, you know, these physical attributes that give them sky high upside, 
really for all four of them you can and then with mac jones you know like if you're not going to talk about the processing you know doesn't have great arm strength uh you know i think his accuracy is a kind of overrated and like everything was so easy for him but that. Th- that's not that's not good television you know that, that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't get people coming to see you so uh I, I get why that we're stuck on this processing stuff even if you know i, I think we can debate the merits of it just because there isn't really anything else to say about Mac Jones. Yeah. And then, and and then one of the issues, like one thing I think people get confused. Like when you question Mac Jones, physical tools, the thing you hear, like people say, Oh, look at the 40 he ran. He ran a four, seven I don't think, at least when I talk about his lack of physical tools, it's not really his movement skills. Although that does play into it. The guy's arm is terrible. Like he underthrows mm-hmm. so many passes and leaves them inside short, like where exactly where you shouldn't be putting these deeper passes. That's what concerns me the most is his arm strength in terms of physical skill set. I just don't think he has it. He's like 40 year old Drew Brees, not 25 year old Drew Brees. <laughs> right. And like that's I think I, I think I we had a similar conversation on the PFF podcast, but it was like Drew Brees and Tom Brady and, you know, Philip Rivers. These guys can get away with having you know, lesser arms because they have 20 years of experience <laughs> and had built up that experience when they were younger and had better arms. So like it, it's, it's, it's not a perfect, it's not like a good comparison to make to Mac Jones, because if you're saying, Oh, well he can just be Philip rivers. Well, I don't think he's going to have the 15 years of experience built up that Philip rivers is even by year two. Like there's just no way. Um, so I, I just don't understand that comparison yet. Cause you're expecting him to be, those Hall of Fame guys at the end of their career, and you're expecting him to be it immediately as he gets into the NFL under a new CBA that, you know, those older veterans didn't have to deal with. Like, it just right. it, it just is so insane, and it just seems like a really weird way to try to justify Mac Jones um, because kind of like Chuck said, we have nothing else to say about him. And if you if you want to use Kirk Cousins as, as the hope, the comp, Kirk's arm is better, like, by a lot, I think. I think that's – yeah, I think it's disrespectful to Kirk. But also remember that Kirk – there was, like, questions about whether he was going to lose his job or not in the last year of his rookie contract. He really didn't lock it down until the second half of the last year of his rookie contract. So if the argument is, oh, we want Mac Jones because he's going to be cheap and we know he's going to be able to at least exist in an – NFL offense, like maybe be average and that's valuable. But Kirk Cousins wasn't valuable on his rookie contract. He was the opposite. He was like a turnover machine on his rookie contract. And I think Mac Jones, like you said earlier, I think he's going to throw a lot of interceptions if he plays right away. Yeah. I mean, if Kirk played right away and Kirk was a a fourth round prospect and we could make the argument that if Kirk got to play in this, you know, Alabama offense, maybe (laughs) we're talking about him in this first round range. But like, uh, yeah, like if Kirk Cousins had to play a full season in his first or second year, like I don't. Like, it's not going to look that good. And I think that's probably going to be the case with Mac Jones. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, if if Cousins were in this offense or... If Will uh, Greer was. I right. I mean, it's just like, pick. you watch this, uh, like, you guys are so much better at watching film than I am. But when I see Mac Jones play, it's like... The offense is happening to him, right? Like it's just like he's right. he's sort of, and it's not even like he's facilitating. It's not like 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 Stephen was saying, like you can watch Breeze and, and Rivers and say, oh, they're not great athletes with great arms, but like they were making it happen uh, be, because they understood what was going on and where to go. Like Jones, like it's just it wasn't even that. Like he was just sort of it's it's 
you know, like when you watch, when I watch fields, it's like, he's the verb in that offense. He is the one making it work. Like everything is on him to make a play work. And you just don't get that sense watching Jones. Like there's so like that offense is so good. And, and fields had tons of talent around him too, but the onus was on him to really make it work. Whereas uh, it's not that same sense with Jones. Um, and like, wanna, you, you could put any of these guys in that Alabama offense and they're right. like, they're playing up historic numbers too. So it's just weird that like we would even like entertain a conversation about Mac Jones going number three overall. Like when the other guys in the draft who have way more, you know, physical abilities than he does could literally do the same exact thing that he did. And it's just weird that, you know, he's getting painted as this like cerebral one when they all could do that. If, if you put Trevor Lawrence in that offense last year, I think oh they scored God. 90 one game. I think one game they get up to 90. Oh, like, yeah. I, I think they like instill new rules after the season. Like, right. not allow that to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, Derek, how 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 much faith do you have in your scout of Trey Lance? I mean, obviously he was playing at the FCS level and he only played one game this year and then uh, only had one season before that. He was 19 years old. Uh, like, How much do you really think we know this prospect at this point? I mean, I think he definitely is like to me, the only two quarterbacks I feel really, really good about what they are, are, you know, Lawrence and Fields. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, it's, the, you know, the next year is Lance and Wilson. And it's more about accepting that it's a little bit of a gamble, but feeling good about the gamble for different reasons or because mm-hmm. you feel good about their ceiling. Um, for me, yeah, like Lance, he was a 19 year old who only played FCS. Um, he got like zero offers out of high school. He wasn't even supposed to be a quarterback. Um in terms of like how he got recruited, I think a lot of people wanted him at safety. I think Minnesota specifically wanted him to play safety. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like a tricky situation in terms of we just don't have a lot on him. Um, and he didn't even throw that much at North Dakota State, which is not actually a criticism of him. Like that's just what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same vein of like, oh, Clemson's offense is RPO. Does that mean Trevor can't process? No, that's just what Clemson does. Um, so I think. With Lance, yeah, you just have a much smaller sample size with him. The reason I feel comfortable with him is, one, he's going to have the tools to make plays early. Um, I mean, his arm is just fantastic, probably only second to Lawrence in this class. Um, And you can make the case that it's actually better. Um, And I think athletically, he's phenomenal. He's going to be one of the best athletes at the position in the NFL. Um, And then his pocket management is just unbelievably mature for a 19-year-old. Like, I think just in terms of purely managing the pocket, he's only second to to Trevor Lawrence, I think, in this class. And Fields is is good in the pocket, I think. Um, But like Lance just has this really natural ability to tie the way he's moving to whatever his next progression is. And, you know, you can complain about the accuracy at times because I think he just didn't have the reps to, you know, fully tie all that in together. But you could see the baseline of what he was trying to do. And it was just so impressive for someone his age. Um, And to the same point, I think his footwork in, in quick game is just he has this way of like taking shortcuts from getting from one read to the next in quick game that you only really see from veterans like Tom Brady, Dak Prescott, you know, some of the best, absolute best footwork guys in the league. And I think the fact that he already kind of gets that as a 19 year old, at least tells me that he's a guy who is clearly thinking about the position um, and constantly thinking about how to maximize his time um, as a player and, and really get the most out of each play. So obviously you still want to see some of the consistency get ironed out, but I'm I'm really banking on just if he gets more reps, 
Um, you know, and as he gets older, 22, 23, 24 years old, I think it's going to come together because he's obviously incredibly toolsy. And I think he just had some of these veteran like baselines to his game that make me feel good about him not busting as a player. Yeah. Like when I was watching Trey Lance, I just kind of I was watching it and he's kind of like this quarterback prospect that. You know, if he didn't play for North Dakota State, like a school that people care about, like he would kind of I feel like he would kind of be like uniting across uh, draft mix, because if you're like Mm -hmm. one of these old school football fans and, you know, you get stuck on, you know, how much they do under center, uh, you know, with protections, all the other stuff. I mean, he did all that stuff as a 19 year old uh, at North Dakota State. And it's just dressed up in a way that like looks similar to. Uh, some NFL offenses like it looks similar to what Arthur Smith was running down uh, in Tennessee. Some of it looks similar to what uh, Kyle Shanahan was running in uh, in San Francisco. Now, it, like it's not the same because you know I, I don't think that you know post snap it was quite the same as you know some of these NFL offenses that you're going to see. But if you're just looking for someone who like has the reps of being under center, being a shotgun, going through the bootlegs like you're going to see on Sunday, like for the old school fans, Trey Lance kind of has all that stuff we're looking for. Plus the big arm. And then like, he can, he can do so much stuff with the ball in his hands too. Like he's not just uh, a quarterback who's good scrambling. He's a legit runner with the ball in his hands. I I think it kind of reminded me of the way that Jalen hurts ran the ball when he was coming Mm -hmm. out of Oklahoma, where it wasn't like this was clearly a quarterback running with the ball. He looked like a running back at times, like running with the ball and the way he made cuts and the patience and the balance. And I see a lot of that with Trey Lance's game too. So, you know, it's kind of like this quarterback prospect that gets you all over the place, whether you're like an old school fan, new school fan. Uh, And the fact that he was doing all this stuff in 19, I mean, 42 total touchdowns, zero interceptions as a 19 year old. That's really impressive. No matter what level of football you're at. And, you know, I, I guess if we're going to do the stuff with Zach Wilson about his, uh, you know, the schedule that he played against last year, it's fair to bring up the same uh, for Trey Lance. But, you know, I, I think that Lance's upside is just uh, a little bit higher than Wilson's, too. Yeah, but, I mean, and Lance is playing like against those are comparable teams for his team. Right, right, like, right, right. right. Well, mo- mo- well, some of them are. Some of them are. Yeah, that, some I, of them are. You're right. North, North Dakota is. I would also say the only benefit he was getting in that sense was like the North Dakota State offensive line was obviously a lot better than the guys they were playing against. And he kind of, you know, Lance got some of the benefits that Zach Wilson did in that sense for offensive line. But like, I don't think the North Dakota State wide receivers were like particularly dominant relative to their competition. They were good. They were nice. Yeah. But like, I don't think they were better on a relative level than, than like what Zach Wilson had or really what like, you know, Justin Fields or or uh, Mac Jones had. Yeah, I, I think that uh, like they, they need some help in their offense. Uh, I forgot what I was about to say. Steve, what, you, what were you about to say? I was going to say like the pocket thing. The one thing I'll say about Lance, and I, I probably need to rewatch his film from 2019 or whenever, the pockets were at least like, they were big, but they were at least like NFL style pockets where like the tackles mm-hmm. are setting deep. Like with Mac, or with Zach Wilson, there's like no pocket really. It's just a wall. He, there's nothing to nab. He doesn't have to climb the pocket to avoid edge rushers like you would in the NFL. And, and I honestly, think I wonder. I, I wonder if I mean part of that is obviously they just were simply better than a lot of the guys they were playing against. But like, I also wonder if that's part of like 
Zach Wilson just can't step up in the pocket. Like mm-hmm. he just is not good at that. So I wonder if the way that they 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 cooked up their protections were like we're not going to force these pockets to to work out in a way that you know we want him to step up because he's bad at that. We want to if something goes wrong he can just bail. Whereas I think Lance on the other hand they were very comfortable with him just stepping up, um, hitching once or twice and just making a crazy throw yeah. on the backside or something. Wilson would like climb the pocket too much like into the pressure or into the back of his offensive line right like anytime he tried he just ran himself into more problems <laughs> right, yeah. uh, i remember what i was about to say uh you know i i guess i'm kind of looking at this as a a fan of a team that could that could take lance with the falcons and obviously like he won't be playing year one and depending on what they do with matt ryan's contract he might not play year two now this is something that i've just been kind of thinking about myself the past couple of weeks like if trey lance doesn't play this year or next year it's like, is that almost a deterrent? Like, if you're a team that's going to have to sit him on the bench for a year or two, and now you're talking about someone who hasn't played football in, you know, two, three years by the time that he gets onto the field, is that a red flag that maybe teams should be looking out for if they plan on sitting him for a year? I mean, honestly, I think you, I think it's like backwards. Like, because the NFL definitely thinks like that, right? Like, they see Trey Lance and they're like, Oh, this is a guy that's going to have to sit. And they see Mac Wilson. Or I always call him Mac Wilson, Mac Jones. And they're <laughs> like, and they're like, Oh, this is a guy that can play right away. But like Derek alluded to earlier, like you could play Trey Lance right away. Cause you could build an offense out of a talented quarterback like that. Like, Josh Allen got onto the field for the Bills and he was their best option because he could run. Right. And he had that powerful arm. Like you can make an offense out of that. Whereas Mac Mac Jones, if he's not the processor, we think he's going to be he's totally useless as a quarterback. Yeah, I think you can make it work with uh Lance right away, especially because like Chuck had mentioned earlier, like here he kind of has familiarity with a lot of the um under center stuff, obviously, which every NFL team is gonna ask him to do more of. Um and a lot of the protection stuff, he's he's kind of at least a little bit versed in that sense. Mm-hmm. What I would say is that generally I think every quarterback should get the chance to sit if you can. Obviously that's not the reality of things in the NFL. Um, and I think the only guys that shouldn't are like the clear studs like Lawrence and Fields. Um, but I think everyone after that, it would be a benefit for them to sit. And I think with Lance specifically, he has some mechanical issues. Um, like he, he does this thing where he drops his shoulder a lot um, and that'll kind of it disrupts his release point a little bit. And that's, I think why he has some accuracy issues. Um, and I think part of that to me is maybe just reps, but you know, Benjamin Solak mentioned this on um, another podcast that we had done, but like the best way to fix a mechanical issue is to just not do the thing. And if you're, if you're playing as a rookie and bullets are flying, you're going to do the thing. Like you're going right. to go back to what you know. Um, but if he can at least, you know, maybe get a year or even just a few months um, where he's not fully playing in the offense, I think that could help iron out some of those things enough um, to get him, you know, to get him a little bit more up to speed in that sense. But I think just in terms of, oh, is he a young quarterback who's going to be able to handle an NFL offense? That's really not my concern with Lance at all. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to say is like, how long is too long from being away from like a a, a live game, you know, because yeah, like preseason is preseason. Then, you know, we could be going on on two years without him seeing action. I, I don't I don't have an answer for it. It's just something that uh, I've been thinking about because I don't know, like being away from a live field and the last time he played was uh, 2019. I mean, that's just, it's just yeah. kind of a long time without going through live. Yeah. Rounds. That's a good point. Especially like during these formidable, formidable years of his development. Like this is when quarterbacks are like learning how to play and he hasn't been able to play at 20 and 21 and maybe he won't play at 22. Like that's, 
I think that is a good point you're bringing up. Yeah, I think uh, it's good too. And I don't actually have an answer either because it feels like it's just such a unique case, yeah. right? Like there's no other quarterback prospect recently that I can think of um, that was this highly touted where you're like, yeah, he maybe is not going to play football for two years. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to read. All right, Derek, let's get down to it. Uh, rank these quarterbacks, man. Rank these. these If you were a decision maker, uh, the first round quarterbacks, which ones would you want? Um, Lawrence is obviously the easy one. And then I had fields, uh, like I mentioned to me, I would actually prefer Lance just because I think his tools are all better than Wilson's are. And I think I just feel more comfortable about some of the baseline stuff in his game. Like, you know, like I said, I think his footwork is better. Um, and I think the way he manages an NFL style pocket is just significantly better, um, than Wilson. Uh, Wilson would be fourth. I still like him. I think he's a, a fine bet in the top 15 or so. I just don't think he's like this clear guy that the Jets should be taking it to. Um, after that, it's like a significant drop off <laughs> to like Jones. And then after that is like Kellen Mond is kind of interesting to me on day three. And then after that, I just don't care. All right. Well, wait, we need we need you to talk about Davis Mills at least once. At least once. <laughs> yeah. I talk about Davis Mills too much. Like, he sucks. That's all I have to say. <laughs> My question awful. is, is Davis Mills real? Does he actually exist? Or is this just a psyop from the draft overlords? From Stanford. I, I, he does not Stanford exist. He's not a real QBs. player. I mean, uh, until he has like a bust in Canton, I just refuse to accept <laughs> that he's a real person. So... I think I feel pretty good about that not happening. So he's uh, Q, he's Q. He's draft Twitter's Q. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Do we have anything else for Derek, guys? We can talk all day about, about quarterbacks. But. Uh, I, let's do this real quick. Uh, for the quarterbacks that don't have landing spots designated yet, uh, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trey Lance. If draft order was taken out of the equation for all three. You have, you know, all all thirty two teams minus the Jaguars and the Jaguars and Jets. What would be the best fits for each of those guys? Oh man, that's fascinating. Uh, I mean, the easy one is just all of them ending up in San Francisco. <laughs> but what I will say is, um, I think Seth tweeted this um, like an hour ago or something. But he said, you know, San Francisco doesn't need Mac Jones, but Mac Jones needs San Francisco, and yeah. I think that's probably the difference. Um, whereas I think San Francisco needs a guy like Fields or Lance. Um, I think other than that, I think Atlanta really is a perfect spot for Lance. You know, Chuck mentioned like the the weirdness of what might happen if Lance has to basically not play football for two years. But I think the offense is just so good for him. And I think I'm okay with him sitting for another year just to kind of iron out some of the mechanical stuff. Like I mentioned, um, Matt Jones is tricky because I think if he really doesn't end up in one of those perfect offenses for him, it's hard to imagine what the perfect scheme for him is. Um, so I don't actually know. Um, Fields, I mean, in a perfectly ideal world, I think him ending up with Belichick would be unbelievable because yeah. I think they can basically do a lot of the things that they've wanted to do with Cam Newton, but with like a healthy version of it, uh, which I think if they could iron out some of, you know, if they could continue to make their pass catchers a little bit better, I think could honestly be incredible um, because Bill has shown he can do some stuff with running quarterbacks. He just, you know, hasn't had one for most of the last, you know, two decades. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's probably where the ideal landing spots would be for me. Would Mac Jones beat out Jared Stidham for the number two? <laughs> that's Ooh. an honest question. 
Um, I mean, I love to meme Mac Jones, but Jared <laughs> Stidham was legitimately one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever charted. So I have to give Mac Jones the edge here, I think. There you have it. Derek Klassen is high on Mac Jones. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's the takeaway. Don't click that part. Don't that's, click it. <laughs> that's the takeaway uh, from this interview. Derek, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate this. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep. All right. How do you guys see it? What uh, what uh, do you guys agree with, Derek? Do you have the same the same list for quarterbacks here? More or less. Yeah. More I or mean, less. I think for me, it's Wilson. Lawrence Fields. Uh, and then I don't know with Wilson and Lance. I guess I lean Lance. But honestly, I, I, like if, if I'm being realistic about it, I don't think that there's like that much that would like tip me either way, I guess. Yeah, I think those are the tiers like feel. Well, I think Lawrence actually is in a tier of his own. And then Fields right. is in a, and I agree with Derek that he would be a first overall pick in most drafts, but this one just happens to have like a Peyton Manning level quarterback. And then if you would have asked me a week ago, I would have said Lance over Wilson, but I think I have Wilson over Lance now, but it, those two are interchangeable for me. And then I don't even care about Mac. Mac Jones. Yeah, honestly, anyone <laughs> beyond those four, I'm not interested in. If one of those guys like Kellen Mond or, you know, someone else hits in the in the later rounds. That's neat, but I'm I'm not invested with, with anyone outside of like the four that we take seriously. Somehow, Mac Jones is and is going to end up getting drafted by the Panthers and the Falcons. It'd be on both teams simultaneously. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna lose our mind. Yeah, uh, Jake Fromm will, will be signed to back him up. And the Eagles. Uh, no, no. Oh, oh that would be. It, w- wait, what's the funniest Mac Jones drafting? The, team the bears it's the bears trading up <laughs> oh my gosh oh you're five. so right 100 percent, 100 percent. but the eagles are second yeah bears and then eagles uh God, i need eagles thing to happen charles based on your knowledge of the new york jets uh it seems like they're just locked in on wilson why like wh- why is this happening i don't know uh, <laughs> I, I, I mean like they definitely are uh you know, it's kind of interesting because, like, I feel like if you were just writing out, like, a scouting report of the things that you like about Zach Wilson, it might look kind of similar to Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold, yes. right. Uh, and honestly, I think Sam is more physically talented than Zach. Yes. Uh, and he's bigger. He's bigger, for he's sure. He's, like, legit 6'4", or whatever, right? I mean, So, I mean, we'll see how it turns out. I mean, Joe Douglas uh, has appeared to, you know, latch his job security onto this working out and Robert Saleh too by proxy. So we'll, we'll see how it turns out. I mean, I, I, I don't really get like what has made them so sold on Zach Wilson that it's been an open secret for like a month, maybe even longer. Uh, but it, it seems like that's where they're going to go. So I, I think just like selfishly, if the Falcons don't take, Justin Fields. I would love to see him go to the Patriots just so we can see what that rivalry looks like. Yeah, that was a really good call by yeah by Derek. Yeah, would be great. Uh, all right, guys, it's draft. You know, we're 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 into it now. We'll have some all sorts of coverage next week, uh, and then we will. I don't know. Let's do. We'll do a preview episode. We'll we'll do something Wednesday. Uh, kind of. Should we do a mock some, draft? Uh, I think we should. I, I think, think we, we should. should. Maybe 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 just the top ten picks. I don't know. Top fifteen. <laughs> I don't know. I guess we could get into all of it. 
man, you guys are right. Covering the drafts is terrible. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll dig in, and then we'll be around uh, Thursday night, Friday, <laughs> a little bit on Saturday. Uh, we'll have all sorts of coverage. Uh, you know, we generally. Uh, wow, what, what have we done recently? We graded every pick as it happened. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think we did Oof. the f- first two nights. Okay. We graded every pick. And like by round three, I didn't know any of the players. And I was like openly admitting that in my grades. <laughs> like, one, just, well, based on their name. Like, uh, one grade I gave was like C, I guess. <laughs> like a C, I guess, to some, some linebacker from Murray State. I think the Jaguars took him. It's uh, it's hard to to yeah, track the, all these prospects. The last time I did a live blog was when I was working at SB Nation, uh, and by like the second round, it was just basically just jokes yes. on jokes. I didn't have any real takes to give, so I was just just shit posting for the most part. Yeah. Well. Join that's us. Kind of, right, that's kind of in-depth of analysis you can expect. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then we'll and then after we write it on the internet, we'll say it on this podcast. So yep. uh, at least it will be that. it will be entertaining at least. Yeah. That's that's the goal. Uh, so yeah, join us uh, next week. Uh, you can find Stephen at the Stephen Ruiz. Charles is at Fourverts. I'm at Chris Corman on Twitter. Uh, obviously, visit for the win. We'll be there too. And keep listening. I promise it'll be fun. And uh, we will mercilessly mock whichever team takes Mac Jones. Uh, so that much, I, I'm pretty sure of at this point. Uh, thanks for joining us. And we will talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. <laughs>